0: Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another, well, I guess we'll call it a delayed episode of Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. I apologize that I've been on the road nonstop, and then I had to go to a trade show and got home, and the CPA world was nipping at my heels, so we're a couple days late getting this podcast released, but I don't know if this will be Randy Newberg unfiltered or if this will be Hunt Talk Radio. With me are Marcus Hockett and Dan Wildy, and I've went through mountains of emails. Mountains, I think, would be a right term. At least hills and piles of emails, maybe mountains, that came in while I was gone about all kinds of cool topics that we probably should talk about if we haven't already, And we're going to jump into those, and these are going to be about probably the one that's really going to get people's attention is why can Western states treat non-residents the way they do, both in terms of pricing and in terms of percentage of tags allowed, and what's the fallacy or the incorrectness in the argument of people saying, "Well, I'm a federal, I'm an owner in those federal lands by my." by virtue of being a u.s citizen so therefore i should have as much right as a state person a person living in that state we're going to explore that in great depth uh explain to you why that doesn't hold true uh and then we're going to get into things about conservation easements what they are what they represent why they're under attack by state legislatures we're going to get into states selling their state land uh We've talked about this in the past many times, and there still seems to be some ambiguity or misunderstanding about what Western states do with lands that are held in their state trust land agencies, which are different than what many of you think of as your DNR or your state wildlife agency. And then over the weekend, it was announced that Secretary of Interior Ryan Zinke is resigning. And that really seems to be getting a lot of, lot of attention out there. So, who knows where else it'll lead us. But in the interim, I better tell you who makes this podcast possible, Loopold Optics. Uh, that's why we call it Loopold Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, go out to loopold.com. Uh, you'll see that they got a new spotting scope coming out this year. And at chat show, they announce all their new products for the year. And we've been sent a few of those to use over the course of our hunting and, uh, great stuff. So if you're in the market for optics, I uh, hope you'll consider Leupold. They do a ton for conservation. They don't like to talk about it, but they are huge supporters of that. They support us and all that we do when we advocate for public lands and hunting so, loopold.com. go there. Orion Coolers, uh, yeah, we're, we're working on a new promo code with Orion Coolers. So, when you go out there, use promo code Randy, and uh, oh, I better not say what it is because someone will think, oh, why didn't I get that? I They're, they're setting it up right now, but it's going to be even more significant than just getting these, uh, what do you got there, Marcus? You got the uh, tumbler that says... Yeah orion coolers on it right that's what you currently get under the promo code you get the best cooler i know of plus you get a tumbler if you use promo code randy and uh go out there orioncoolers.com promo code randy and for christmas i can't think of a better christmas gift for the hunter or angler in your house You guys got some new Orion coolers, right? I just
1: got mine on Friday.
2: Yeah? Yeah. Yes. Marcus got Got one. Got to use it for the first time in Arizona. Did you?
0: Yeah. Yeah, we need to talk about Arizona coos deer in amongst all this also, Marcus. Marcus just got, and Dan. Yeah, what the heck? They just got back from filming an Arizona coos deer hunt, cows deer. I, I get so much grief when I say the right pronouncement, cows.
2: We did a video about
0: it. Did you? Yeah, great. We did. So, all of you people don't bother emailing me or telling me I'm an idiot when I say cows, deer. That's really how it's pronounced. Even hey, though, cows. even though amongst most people in the world it's still called coos, it's really pronounced cows. So, I'm going to let people off the hook if they use either one. I don't really care. <laughs> uh, but what I've found is if I call it coos, the technical purists give me grief. Randy, you know, it's really cows deer. Yes, I know that. And then if I use cows, mm-hmm. the fanatics who are really into coos hunting, cows hunting, mm-hmm. will contact me and say, Hey, you idiot. It's coos deer. That's what that, you guys up North. You don't know anything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't care what people call it. So, uh, go hunt.com another great sponsor of the podcast uh it's getting to be application season and marcus you drew this cows tag in arizona something tells me we were out on go hunt on the insider checking that out before yep. you applied mm-hmm. to get the best drawing odds research by species by state by everything you can think of uh and when you go to GoHunt.com, and sign up for the Insider. That's where all this stuff is at. It's Click the button that says Insider. And when you sign up, use promo code Randy. And you're going to get $50 of mad money. $50 of free credit in their gear shop. Which is the best online gear shop for the serious backpack western hunter that I know of. Gohunt.com. Insider. Promo code Randy. And then, we couldn't do anything that we do without our on x system on go and get the app you guys have me converted i think i'm fully converted now to to the to smartphone? smartphone app it's pretty handy yeah uh,
1: but you need to make sure you don't go down to southern arizona and not have service and try to download it
2: yeah yeah i had to climb a mountain to download the <laughs> app Oh, you... It you, worked, We up. didn't plan We got well. on top of a mountain, got it downloaded, we are good.
0: Oh, so when you went, you hadn't downloaded the maps no, you needed? No. Oh. Yeah, that was my own fault. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But
2: we got it downloaded, and then also we had the benefit that everything was public land down there, so... Yeah. But then we still had no idea where the drainages were, which turned out to be... Helpful. Oh, yeah. Once yeah. we got the...
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's huge. What you can see as an aerial view on the smartphone app, it... it that's what causes me to say heck with my old gps even though people see me carrying my old gps the reason that is is we're hunting areas i've hunted in the past and i've been too lazy to download my trails and waypoints (laughs) off the old gps onto my laptop and into my onyx system see
2: i had the benefit of dropping my GPS into the bottom of a river so I just didn't even have to worry about transferring (laughs) anything because it was just all gone.
0: Uh, But we suggest, we all would suggest that if you have a smartphone, you go to onxmaps.com and get the app. And when you buy the app and get all of the cool products available, uh, use promo code RANDY. Again, R-A-N-D-Y. And save yourself 20%. That worked, Dan? Mm-hmm. All right. Good deal. <clears throat> I'm just looking at the speaker here. I, I thought I forgot to hit the record button.
2: I think we're recording. We're yeah. Good.
0: I had a small moment of panic there. <laughs> at
2: least we would have only been a few minutes in.
0: I know. Last year at the sheep show, <laughs> I had the guys from Sitka and the guys from First Light doing a podcast, and I double-punched the button. And while we were doing the podcast, I was looking at my Zoom recorder saying, I wonder what's going on with that. The red lights aren't on. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, the, that's how distracted I was trying to carry on this conversation because Jared uh, Fraser from 2% for Conservation was there also. So there were six of us on this podcast, yeah. which was, <sighs> oh, well, no need <laughs> for panic today. Which one of these topics do we want to start with? You got a preference? Mm. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, Dan. Let's start with tags. Tags. Non
1: resident, resident.
0: Yeah. So, the common question, and I don't know how many emails I've had about this in the last month. And then also on our YouTube channel, somebody asked the question a few days ago. And when it's application season, uh, again, shameless plug for go hunt if you want to draw more tags in application season, use their insider and use promo code Randy and get fifty dollars off. but uh the the implication or the connection usually is people say, "Well, I'm a citizen of the United States. Why can you discriminate against me when it comes to hunting when I own that federal land as much as you do?" On its surface, kind of seems somewhat logical but when you peel back the layers and start looking at how it is and why it why it is how it is it becomes a little easier to understand uh i guess when, when people ask me that question anyway you're face to face and can have a discussion i ask them well do you own property And sometimes they'll say yes or no, or I said, if they don't, I say, you know someone who owns property? Oh, yeah. Do they get to set the laws and regulations and issue tags based on the fact that they own 200 acres of farm ground? (laughs) And they always say, well, no. Well, there's a reason for that. In the United States, wildlife is not connected to the real estate, to the land, Right. Mm -hmm. two completely separate. Topics.
2: Yeah. Even if it's a giant federal land management agency, that doesn't mean that they're managing the wildlife. Exactly. That's one of the things that's fantastic about our system in a way.
0: Yeah. And so usually when you say it that way, people are like, oh, so you're saying that if I own, quote, unquote, a percentage of the federal lands by virtue of being a U.S. citizen, that that doesn't vest me in some equal right to wildlife? And it's nice when they get to the, <laughs> that conclusion without having to have the whole other discussion to it. But that's, at its core, that's really how it is, and it it goes back to a court case from 1842 called Martin versus Waddell, and it was a court case in the, I think it was in the Chesapeake Bay area. They were arguing over who owned the rights to the shellfish. In the tide flats and and went all the way to the u.s supreme court and you'll get all kinds of different historical versions depending on which attorney you talk to but uh as a general rule the courts held that the wildlife the i think they called it the fishings foulings and hawkings or something like that they they didn't <laughs> say hunting and fishing they used the kind of an 1800-ish term for mm-hmm. it. <clears throat> they said those rights are held in trust by the state for the benefit of its citizens. Which was, when you think about all those things they said there, one, it's not owned by the state, it's held in trust by the state. For its citizens, not for every citizen in the United States, right. but for the citizens of that state. And when you think about back in eighteen forty two what was that sixty years, seventy years after the whole spat we had with the red coats and declarations of independence and constitutions and bills of right- bill of rights and everything else, the Tenth Amendment was added to the u s Constitution for a reason, and that says all rights shall be retained by the state unless those rights are granted by the states to the federal government. Well, one of those rights that the states were vested in upon us becoming a country was the right of wildlife. And they never gave that to the federal government. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of a convoluted way or rationale, whatever you want to call it, history maybe, of how we got to the point that the land is separate From the wildlife that might be standing there and a lot of the principles that they explained in that court's decision apply to they they brought from the idea of water water like wildlife is not usually static on the landscape it flows evaporates it does whatever and so the there's a, a concept called the public trust doctrine that says Some things are not capable of being owned because of their transient and fluid and moving nature. Therefore, they're going to be held in a public trust arrangement. And some attorneys will say that came as part of the common law that we brought over from Europe. Some will say it goes back even further to Roman law. Hmm. So that is where it all started. And since then, there's been numerous court cases as it pertains to hunting and wildlife. There's an attorney in Bozeman who I've hired a time or two, Jim Goetz. He argued a case, I believe it was in 1978, it was uh, Baldwin versus the Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Commissioners. And the idea was that you could not charge non-residents a different fee, and you couldn't restrict them because it violated the interstate commerce clauses or i'm probably getting this wrong because i've read so many of these cases i mix them up at times uh anyhow whichever clause it was i should go read that case again but the court decided no you can discriminate in pricing and and allocations with non-residents because of the following and the it's a pretty long decision, but what the court's held is, no, you can, states are allowed to do that. Now, I I think the Western states lay the pipe to non-residents. I'm a non-resident in 49 other states. (laughs) Yeah. We all are. If you're not a resident in 49, if you're not a non-resident in 49 other states, you might want to be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For fishing game, I don't think you can, claim dual residency in any state so
2: yeah no i i look at it a i don't know it's it's weird looking at it from the perspective of being a montana resident because we do enjoy such cheap hunting right as a mm-hmm. resident yep and so from that perspective it's like well yes i really like having this really cheap tags and licenses but then non-residents pay how much more than us like it's a ratio of almost 20 time. to
0: 30 to 1. It's it's, kind of, it's, it's so skewed. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So but, I'll, go ahead, Marcus. I, I don't
2: know, yeah, because, I mean, <laughs> from one perspective, I'm like, man, they're fronting a lot of our budget, and, like, I don't know. We definitely should appreciate our non-residents for what they do provide us. Yeah. But then now that I've, I've, in the last two years, have hunted as a non-resident in other states, it's interesting to see you know, it is that's a lot of money to hunt those other states, and yeah, I don't know. I still, I'm still not sure how to feel about it because I, f- and then yeah. you feel like you're getting screwed over in some s- certain states more than others, and oh, it's an yeah. interesting topic for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm, I can't decide how I feel about it fully. I, I honestly think that uh, as residents, we should front more of the bill ourselves. I do too. Like, especially in Montana.
0: Now we need to get prepared but, for all of the hate mail from the Montana well. residents. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> so Montana is probably, like, one of the biggest margin gaps between resident and non-resident, isn't it? Oh, yeah. We're, right by we, far.
0: We're always the leader of the pack. We wrote the book on how to lay the pipe to non-residents yeah. here in Montana. Because so. I didn't
1: think about it until I moved out here from Minnesota. And then, you know, we had some family that would come out and want to elk hunt with us. and we would just start rubbing it in their faces. Oh, yeah, I got my old tag, 20 bucks. You know, and then they're like, what, 700 or whatever dollars they have Nine, to pay. Yeah, something. Whatever, yeah. or combo tags, way more than that even. Yeah. So, I didn't, but yeah, until then, I never even really thought about that concept.
0: Yeah, and some states restrict you to a percentage of the tags. Montana, for our limited entry tags, we restrict them to 10%. But... For our general tags, it's a statutory cap of 17,000 deer-elk combo tags and 5,500 deer-only tags. So that's never a percentage of anything, it's just a hard number. Wyoming does the same with their elk tags, that they have to issue by statute 7,000-some non-resident tags. And I think they give 16% of their limited entry tags to non-residents. And whatever that number is, they have to give the remainder as general tags to non-residents to get to that seven thousand whatever cap. Hmm. And then you have some states, and we're just focusing on elk, but you could grab any species. South Dakota, they don't allow any non-residents to hunt elk in South Dakota. Right, and they don't have to. By law, they don't have to. And by this these court cases. Any non-resident hunting I get in any of the states is strictly at the pleasure slash luxury slash convenience of whatever that state and those citizens are willing to share with Mm non-residents. Because really they don't have to give any. Right. Some states have become so dependent on non-resident revenues that they give away a lot of non-resident hunting opportunity. And the residents of those states get upset. Why are we giving so much to non-residents? Well, here's what we'd have to do to your resident fees if we crank down the non-resident numbers. Right. So, I i don't know. It just States can do whatever they want is, is the message. Yeah. And also the message is that there is no connection between land ownership and the right to... S- enjoy or allocate the hunting opportunity of the wildlife that might be on that land.
2: Right.
0: I mean, the example would be, okay, there's some really big landowners in this country. Ted Turner's in the top five landowners Mm -hmm. in this country. How would people feel if we said every ranch that Ted Turner owns, he gets to manage, he gets to determine the laws that manage the wildlife on that ranch or that land. He gets to set his own season dates. He gets to print and sell his own tags. He gets just whatever. Then that's just,
2: that's messed up. Then we're not American anymore. It,
0: exactly. People would be up in arms over that. Yeah. And the same would, have, and so the reason that is, is because we are a society where the wildlife is one thing and the state manages it in trust for those citizens, no matter where the wildlife is standing or occurs. And so that's why it's invalid to make the argument that hey, I own some of this Western land because I'm a U.S. citizen. Yeah, you do, but it's not like the federal government gets to set these rules and laws and tag quotas and pricing and everything else. The states do. So Mm -hmm. it's always a hard (laughs) one to explain.
2: Wouldn't wouldn't Texas kind of throw a wrench into that whole... Explanation though. Well, don't, don't they kind of, have some private land management? But I mean, it, the state decided that that exactly, was the way they want.
0: Exactly. So that's the point: is the state was very generous in how it treated landowners. Right. The state could change that tomorrow. Yeah. So when people say that, oh well, Texas or even New Mexico with all of its landowner vouchers. Yeah. Really, it was the state legislature who decided those programs would be allowed to operate that way. Right. So, and some people, like one of the persons uh, who emailed me said, well, I think we need a federal hunting license. Man, you want to get my blood pressure up. I don't think we need a federal hunting license. I do not want the federal government setting each state's hunting rules or fishing rules. Yeah. In some instances, the states have said, look, we'll sign on to the Migratory Bird Act. Therefore, we're going to give the right to manage migratory birds at the federal level. We're going to participate in that. So there's certain times where the states have, in very limited instances, said, look, we'll work cooperatively with the federal government.
2: Well, that's pretty different. Than, it's not like we have elk that are migrating from... Canada down to Mexico. So.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's it's a huge difference. And but every time you say that it's a state right, people will point out, Well, what about this? Well, there are certain times where the states have agreed yeah. to participate. So hmm. uh, no, I know. Cool. I to your point, Dan, I I do think that we in the West are too dependent on non resident revenues. And I get a lot of hate mail every time I say that. But I think residents should be paying more in most states. Now, I look at Nevada. Residents pay a ton in Nevada. Really? Yeah. Hmm. And they're really avid about their hunting and all their opportunity. But they pay a lot for it. Non-residents
2: still pay a ton too, though. Right? right.
0: Non-residents still pay a ton price-wise, but they only get ten percent of the tags. Right. So to fund this agency, the the percentage that's coming from non-residents in a state like Nevada is way lower than it is in a state like Minnesota or uh, Montana or Colorado. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I what what do you suppose the The result would be if you call your friends in Minnesota, Dan, and say, hey, you need to get all worked up about what's happening on these lands out here in the West. They're probably going to say, well, you guys price me out. I'm busy.
1: Yeah, maybe. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I get that a lot when I travel to other places.
1: Well, well, sorry, but they go, because they started going down to Colorado now because it was cheaper than coming out here. And maybe even, I think they talked about going to Wyoming. Also, just because it's, I don't know, quite a bit more affordable than going to Montana.
0: Huh. Well, one thing I run into, and I tell Western citizens or residents this, is we can't have it both ways. We can't be making ridiculous pricing. And I'm not saying it should be the same. I'm not saying it should be you know, everybody in the hat equally. I'm comfortable with restrictions and disparities when I'm there as a non-resident. I'm I'm fine with it. But don't think those decisions happen without some consequence. And when I call the guy in Wisconsin or Illinois and say, hey, we need you to call so-and-so senator or so-and-so representative because they're doing something that's damaging to our federal lands, our public lands of the West, that person's response is, you know what? You guys want to charge me twenty-five times what you pay? I'm busy today. I don't think I'll call my senator or my representative. Yeah. And so it,
2: that is an interesting look at it. But then that, yeah, I don't know. If they're, <laughs> but if they're still out here, I guess if they're or if they're priced out and they don't come out here, and right. then they have zero interest in it, but then, right. I don't know. It is an interesting look at it. I'm not sure how to think about that. Yeah. Um. Uh. Huh.
0: Yeah.
3: I don't
0: know. All right, Marcus but was gonna say something. Yeah, I, I he think was. Mark Marcus was gonna go unfiltered. No. He, yeah. He uh, punted. I don't know.
2: I'm just I'm just pondering. <laughs> okay. Pondering.
0: And when it really comes up is. Not so much when people are applying for their tags, but when the results come out. (laughs) When the results come out with 100% predictability, you can go out to any of the Western hunting forums and you are going to hear people making the case. This is stupid. I'm a U.S. citizen. I should have as much right as you do. Yeah. No. (laughs) And with a lot of reason. Remember when we had this tea party back in... Boston and the colonists said, We really don't like the way things operate in Europe and we don't want it here. Well, one of the things that operated in Europe was one large controlling interest held the rights in wildlife. And if you went and poached the King's Deer, or you you became a poacher if you went and shot his rabbit or his deer. Right. Because he he actually owned that wildlife on Mm. on his land they didn't like that and i don't it would be cool if you could roll back the hands of time and talk to some of these uh people who participated in that tea party (laughs) or signed the declaration of independence or were there as we worked on a constitution that took however many years to develop Or even the Supreme Court justices who made the decision and find out, was there a true affirmative response to the issue of who's going to own the wildlife in this country? Because whether it was an affirmative response or just by accident and the path in which our laws evolved, it ended up being the result they hoped for. Yeah. That nobody was going to own the wildlife. Other than the state. So hmm. Hmm.
4: Oh, you think I hope that answers it.
2: I think that, yeah. I was just thinking though, back to the example of Montana um and pricing out non residents. That being said, looking at it from Montana's perspective, they're like, Well, we're still selling all those tags. So the demand <laughs> is there at well, that for price. Sure. Yeah. It's like there's still, there's no, or I mean, with the exception of a few years ago, after the price increase, mm-hmm. they've been selling all of the tags that are available. Yeah. But, I mean, that's like, yeah, you're still pricing some people out, but.
0: Right. I don't know. Take that to its next conclusion. What if you priced sheep permits? For what they would go for? For what? So that you say, all right, we're giving away 200 sheep permits. Yeah, what's the price we'd have to set it at to only have two hundred applicants? Yeah,
2: probably hundred thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, be high.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and obviously I'm just taking it to an extreme. Yeah,
2: no, that's a good point.
0: But there, there is I think some relevance to if you price it too high. There's no doubt you are pricing some people out, and there's usually the knee jerk response. Well, if you don't like it, move out here. Well. That's all nice, but what if you have a business you've built in Mm -hmm. some other part of the country? What if you have elderly parents that you are the caretaker for? There's a million Mm real-life things that pop up where the knee-jerk of, well, move here then if you don't like it, (laughs) really is. It's borderline offensive, I think, to some of those people who... Maybe they would move here if their life circumstances were different. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, well, if nothing else, we've at least touched on that topic. <laughs> it it is it's such a deep and convoluted topic that I don't think we could ever cover. I we couldn't answer and address all the perspectives if we did a ten hour podcast. Right. Uh, I don't think. So, but Dan's going to apply as a non-resident in how many states next year, Dan? 10. 10. 10 yep. states, huh? Yep. And right. you're, so you're going to be paying more and have less opportunity for those tags. Yeah. You okay but with that? But I'll be it?
1: funding their wildlife organization. So feel good it's about like, funding. It's a feel good thing.
0: <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Okay. You, 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 the, all that money you put there, the feel good is worth it?
2: I don't know. I'm making it up as I go. <laughs> no, it does it does seem like you should have a somewhat more level playing field, but yeah, I don't mm-hmm. I mean, if you had it, if you had the exact same system, we would have to overhaul right. Our permit allocation like a lot of stuff you'd yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, on a complete personal level, I would be super frustrated as a Montana resident because then I wouldn't be able to draw all these tags mm-hmm. that I Or, well, I mean, you would have less general opportunity probably if you had the exact same Mm -hmm. protocol for everyone showing up here.
0: Right. Which to me is why it's so cool that it's a state-based system. Yeah. And every state gets to do what reflects their history, their culture, and their values.
2: Mm -hmm. But I'm definitely willing to give more than my $20 for my elk tag each
0: year. Is that what it is? No, I it used to be 12. I think it's 20. I, I think, think it's 20, 20. I remember when we bumped it from 12 to whatever it is.
1: Did people just riot over that? Oh, my
0: God. <laughs> Up at the Capitol in Helena, there were people that they would have never left their bar stool if grandma was dying and wanted to see them <laughs> at the nursing home. But they left that bar stool to go to Helena and bitch about a $6 increase in their elk tag. They spent... Five years of elk tag increase, driving to Helena and back (laughs) to bitch about it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And I'm, I get it. You know, I, I always try to be cognizant of the fact that I'm in a different situation. You know, at a certain point in your life, you adjust your priorities where my priority from the beginning was I wanted to hunt a lot. So financially, Mm -hmm. lifestyle-wise, everything else. I've made huge accommodations to my life, so I can hunt a lot. And these other Western states would have a really hard time pricing me out. Not, Not in terms of that I'm a billionaire, but in allocating my household budget. Right. These Western states could increase their stuff 20, 30, 50, 100%, and I'd probably still be in the game. So, it's just at my point in my life, that's how much I want to haunt. No, and I don't think... And I get that others aren't out in that situation.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I don't think we should price people out to that extent. But yeah, a few dollar increase over the... I mean, if you can't afford a few more dollars, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Just go without a coffee one day of the year or something.
3: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) We enjoy yeah.
0: really cheap hunting in Montana. Oh, yeah. I think a bit back to your point, Dan, I think we're the largest disparity as far if you measure it on a ratio of what the resident pays to what the mm-hmm. non resident pays. I even with the increase in resident pricing four or five years ago, I think we're still the leader. We're yeah, a, I would imagine. We're like a twenty eight to one ratio, which that's crazy. And I'm not saying reduce resident fees or non-resident fees. I'm saying increase resident fees. Mm -hmm. And then you get the, well, what about the kids and what about the elderly? Okay. If you're over a certain age or under a certain age, keep it the same. Sure. But for those of us who are in the working years of our lives. I mean, $20 for for six weeks of archery hunting and five weeks of rifle hunting across well more than half of the elk range in the state. Yeah.
2: Well, then how many of the people who are complaining about the $6 increase showed up in their forty, fifty dollars 50000 pickups? <laughs> Ooh, that's a good question. <laughs>
0: Lots. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. So I I get it. Uh, it is the reality of what we deal with. I just want to bring it up and discuss it in detail because it's so often uh, – a misunderstood idea that somehow because you think you own some part of property that that gives you some rights in wildlife, it doesn't. Right. And I don't think Alaska should have to do anything other than what Alaska citizens want to do. I don't think Colorado or Idaho or Iowa or Maine or Florida or Texas, I don't think they should have to do anything other than what their citizens want to do as it relates to wildlife. And people who want a national version of that, well, we have one. It's called the Endangered Species Act. Do do we want the federal government setting our seasons involved in our wildlife management? I don't. That ought to get me a bunch more hate mail from the people who do, but that's all right. So,
4: what's our next topic? Which one you want to talk about? We got a whole list of them here.
0: Conservation easements.
2: Yeah, let's do it. All right. Sounds good.
0: Do you guys you guys know anyone who's entered into a conservation easement?
2: Uh, I'm sure I do. I can't think of a specific yeah. <clears throat> example. Not that,
1: I, not that I am aware of. Okay.
0: Because conservation easements in the West are a really big thing, more so than they are in the East or the Midwest. Uh, And the reason conservation easements got thrown on this list is I received few emails about why can't i hunt on a land that when there's a conservation easement that's stupid that i can't hunt there well you got to understand what a conservation easement is and once you do it becomes pretty obvious why you can't hunt there and then you get legislators here in montana and this again this could be a whole nother topic and i think we should We should go to Helena because our legislature is going to go into session in January. We're lucky. We only have a biannual legislation. A lot of states, it's every year, all year. Hmm. Uh, Montana, what's the joke? Our legislature meets every two years for 90 days. And we always say we wish they'd meet every 90 years for only two days.
2: (laughs) 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 I don't know. That'd be a pretty stressful two days, (laughs) though.
0: Well, (laughs) right now, I looked, and in those 90 days, there's over 3,000 new bills to be considered.
2: That's pretty insane. That's
0: ridiculous. As a I...
2: concerned citizen to try to understand yeah. 3,000 bills yeah. that are being introduced.
0: And when I checked a couple weeks ago, there were over 130 of those bills that were going to change something with hunting and fishing and pro- uh, access laws in Montana. Huh. I had no idea that Montana was in such a bad state of affairs.
1: <laughs> Do you know what any of those ones are?
0: Oh, like, you, there's a or can you some read some of them you know because it's the same people trying to do the same thing every time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, some of them they just use a generic title to revise Montana Game and Fish laws. It's pretty broad. Pretty broad, and it's a place <laughs> marker that they put there now, so that they actually have to submit the text and language of the bill once they get in session. So then you get a better idea of what it is. Um, but you have a lot of these Western legislatures that are attacking conservation easements. And there's a, a legislator, actually, our office right here sits in his district. Kerry White from Bozeman claims to be the world's greatest property right advocate. I don't think it was the last session, but the session before, he introduced a bill that said a property owner cannot sell or donate a conservation easement without approval of that county commission. Which just does not make sense. Like, Yeah, that's like communism. That's like Russia. For for being a property
2: right advocate. Yeah, that seems very backwards.
0: So Marcus owns the ranch. Dan, you're the nonprofit. Yep. You go to Marcus and say, Marcus, you're a great gratuitous guy. You love wildlife. You love open space we would gladly accept the donation of your development rights if you were so inclined. And Marcus says, yeah, yeah, I, that's great. I, I don't want my kids developing this when I tip over anyhow. I, I want to leave this as open space. Yeah. My dad and my grandpa and my grandma and my mom, they worked their butts off to put this ranch together. The last thing I want to do is have it turned into a subdivision.
2: Which is like a value that... It- A lot of Montana ranchers would share. Yeah. For sure.
0: And so Marcus goes to Dan and says, all right, nonprofit Dan, I'm going (laughs) to donate these development rights to you. And Dan says, oh, great. I'm a qualified land trust. I'm I'm capable. The IRS says I'm able to hold those. But this dude, Kerry White, says you guys can't do that private transaction without the county commission approving it. And, oh, I hope nobody realizes my brother sits on the Gallatin County Commission. (laughs) You don't suppose that was a little bit goofy looking?
1: Seems like a little bit of a conflict of interest. A little bit. Just a little bit.
0: My point of bringing this example up is for people to understand what your state legislature is doing. Yeah. They are doing these kind of things every time they're in session. So a little funny sidebar, I hear this bill is up for hearing, and I'm pissed because I have so many CPA clients that have entered into conservation easements. Either they've sold those property rights Mm -hmm. or they've donated them. And there's no way in hell I'm letting the Montana legislature tell my CPA clients that you can only exercise these rights in a certain way if the county commission approves it. So much for the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that vests the property right owner in all rights. So I go up there and how it works. We, we need to do a YouTube piece about how you engage and how legislative no, we need, acts work. Let's do it for sure. This. So anyway. here's kind of how it works, folks. So you go up there. They post, all right, this is the committee that's going to hear the bill. Here's the sponsor. And the citizens get to show up. And you sign in if you're for it or against it. And the sponsor gets up, says, here's the bill. Here's why it's needed, blah, blah, blah. The sponsor then sits down. And then the chairperson calls for public testimony. So I'm the first guy in line. I, I'm so pissed. I, it's <laughs> all I can do to not blurt out while the sponsor's talking about this bill. I want to say, lying bastard, communist, blah, blah, blah. So he sits down, and and so there's a podium you go to, and so this bill sponsor has to sit down right next to that podium. So everybody who comes up is right next to the bill sponsor. Mm-hmm. And my wife, whenever she knows I'm wound up about something, when I leave the house, her last words are, whatever you do, don't get in a cussing fit. I'm so wound up about this infringement on property rights and this communist idea that I wrote a little note on the top of my tablet. I st- It's one of the few times I ever did it was, don't swear. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm sitting there. I'm the first person who gets up, and I light this up. I'm like, I didn't realize I moved to Russia. I, I didn't realize that we were going to convert our form of government, to communism. I did not realize that the Fifth Amendment no longer applies in Montana. And I look over and I'm done at at Kerry White and he doesn't appear to be real pleased with me. (laughs) And I wanted to say, you know what? You've mistaken me for someone who gives a shit about your hurt feelings. And maybe I shouldn't be picking on Mr. White the way I am. Point is, these state legislatures do this stuff all the time they purport to be great property rights advocates mm-hmm. and they do stupid ass shit like that because they don't like conservation easements.
2: Yeah. But if that's what the property owner wants to do, who, who is, who is he to tell you that you cannot do what you want to do with your own property? That's, right. that's like the basic premise of this. Like I, I, that's exactly yeah, very hypocritical to yeah. say So you're now, a property rights advocate. Yeah.
0: So no, I'm scanning through the list of bills that are in the upcoming Montana legislative session. And again, folks, do not be at all surprised if you scan the bills in your state legislative session and there's something very similar to what I'm about to say. And the reason is there are national interests who hate conservation easements. And what they do they they can't do anything about it at the federal level in most instances so they go and these they find sympathetic state legislators to carry this this kind of legislation at the state level so i suspect if you go and look at your state you're going to see some really crazy attacks on conservation easements which are if you attack conservation easements you're attacking private property rights right And I'm a, for me, I'm an absolutist when it comes to our amendments in our Constitution. The Second Amendment, I'm an absolutist when it comes to that. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. I don't see a lot of fuzziness there. That's pretty obvious to me, but maybe that puts me in the minority. Same with the Fifth Amendment. Why? state legislators think they can attack someone's property right because they don't like conservation easements mm-hmm. is, I, I have no idea why they think that. So
1: why do, um, why do they not like, con- what about conservation easements do they not like? You know, it's a, because they want it, it developed or is there yeah, a Because
0: it's land that gets used in whatever way the landowner wants. And a lot of times that'll be, okay, I'm going to give away the development rights. I'm going to give away the oil and gas rights. I might give away the, I might sell the access rights. And some people just don't like that. Hmm. They think that you shouldn't be allowed to do that. Or here, oh, here's okay. the here's how they're coming after it in the Montana session coming up. They want to say that you can't do these in perpetuity. So for people to understand why that's an issue, maybe I should explain in detail what a conservation easement is. So if you take a law class, uh, they're going to talk about real property, real estate. Real property is a bundle of rights. They'll bring this bundle of sticks to the class as Mm -hmm. an experiment. I wish they would have brought a bundle of crayons because my mind would work easier with a big stack of Crayola crayons. So that's the example i'm going to use the deed of your property is like taking hundreds of crayons into one little ball or putting them all in one one box and you you say all right i'm going to pull the red one out that represents my grazing rights i'm going to pull the green one out that represents my development rights i'm going to pull the black one out that represents my whatever you want oil and gas rights Whatever property right you have, it can be separated by just pulling it away from the big box of crayons. Mm -hmm. So you're the landowner, you own the box of crayons. You say, I'll give up my development rights, but I'm not giving up my access rights. I'm going to keep the blue one that represents the access right. That's staying in my box of crayons. I'm going to keep the deed to the property. But Dan, you're, you're getting picked on as nonprofit, Dan. That's right. <laughs> I'm going to give you my development rights and I'm going to give you my surface mining rights. So I'm going to grab those two crayons out of the box. And now my box that is represented by my deed to real property is not complete. I still own all the other rights, the mineral rights. I own the access rights. I own the timber rights. I, I own everything other than I gave you the surface mining and I gave you the development rights. That's really what a a, a, conservation, a conservation easement is. I can sell them to you, Dan, mm-hmm. at fair market or at a discounted price, or I can just donate them to you. And I can give them to you for a period of time and then I get, them, get to put them back in my box, or I can give them to you in perpetuity forever till till the end of time. So there's huge income tax benefits in doing this. Let's <laughs> use an example of just outside of Denver, Colorado, there's a ranch. The guy, the gal, they, they've been the, the last holdouts. It's nothing but subdivisions all around them. They still keep their 5,000 acres mm-hmm. as open space. They're, they're running cows, mm-hmm. and it's a pain in the butt to run cows when you got all these neighbors living in subdivisions, and they're bitching and moaning, hey, your cows are stinking, and, you know, I hate it in the winter when the snow melts and it smells like cow piss here. and <laughs> I uh, <laughs> we but, all uh, yeah. right it's very common if you live in the west you're going to have people who move in next to ranches and then bitch about what the rancher's doing and he's <laughs> been doing it for 100 years yeah but oh well so this person owns 3000 acres and because Denver is just growing like crazy that 3000 acres is actually worth 30 million dollars if you were to subdivide it and chop it up into residential homes well, he meets with his accountant and his accountant and attorney say, you know what, you're going to have a serious estate tax problem when you tip over. Because the IRS is going to come and value your ranch at its highest and best use. And that's what you're going to pay estate tax on. And the rancher family says, what do you mean? I, I don't have enough. I don't have, this ranch only generates enough cash flow to pay for our family to work here. Mm-hmm. We, we couldn't afford to pay all these estate taxes. Well, the accountant and the attorney say, well, if you donate a conservation easement in perpetuity, you can probably get out of all those estate taxes because it'll reduce the value of your ranch. The IRS now, because you've given away the development rights, the IRS can no longer appraise it as development property. They have to appraise it using some other formula. Mm-hmm. And therefore, your ranch is only going to be deemed worth. $8 million for estate tax purposes rather than $30 million, And between the mm-hmm. two of you, you can pass that much tax-free. We use it a lot in the West. It's a very common technique. And, oh, if you want to do this while you're alive, you're going to get this great big income tax deduction also. Mm-hmm. So you can offset your income and save income taxes going forward. And Colorado even had some more incentives to do it which is why I kind of picked on Colorado. So here's what the state legislatures are doing. And it's what the Montana, one of the Montana bills is about, is to say you cannot do this in perpetuity. You can only do it for a certain term
4: of years. Which, if you can't do it in perpetuity,
0: you're not going to get these tax deductions. So they want to remove the ability of landowners to get great big tax benefits by doing what they want to do with their property, thinking that punishment will keep them from doing it. So what is the family going to do? They're going to sell the freaking ranch to a realtor, a subdivider, a developer Mm -hmm. for $30 million. And that wildlife habitat, that remaining wetlands and open space that the few remaining critters are using... And the vision that the rancher
2: had for his own land
0: is gone. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. Because some state legislator decided he does not like conservation easements. He doesn't like things done in perpetuity. And therefore, I'm going to lay the pipe to you. And you're not even going to know I'm doing it because I'm going to bury it in these state, these package of laws. I'm going to run it through some committee you may not even be paying attention to. And those people who are supporting my campaign from out of state, I can go back to them and say, hey, I got it done for you. So when these anti-property right bills come up in the Montana legislature this session, yeah. you're going to see me up there. And I would strongly <laughs> suggest the two of you, if you want to have continued employment, you calm me down a little bit on that <laughs> day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. I get wound up just talking about it. To your point, Marcus, these families, and I don't care if it's a, uh, a ranch that they bought, that they inherited, whatever. Yeah. They contribute a lot of wildlife habitat. They contribute a lot of open space. They contribute so much value to things we cherish. And now some state legislator who does not like conservation easements is going to go and pass a bill that says you cannot do them in perpetuity under Montana law and therefore you don't qualify for the estate tax savings or the income tax deductions? Yeah. That state legislator should be taken out to the woodshed and have his ass kicked. <laughs> I'm not, that's not a threat. It's just the, it, that's a metaphorical way of saying this Metaphorically, person. Metaphorically, Yes, this person needs to be unelected. Yep and the person sponsoring these kind of bills the people doing it, are from the rural parts of the state who claim to be property rights advocates they're the biggest hypocritical closet communists in yeah. a, on the I most think basic level it's <laughs> the the
2: the biggest mess part is just the fact that they're telling a private property owner what they can can or can't do on right. with their property right Which is, yeah, that's the most messed up part at its basic level.
0: Yeah. And I can assure you, if you live in the West, you have state legislators who are being supported and funded by these groups who hate this idea of conservation easements. And there will be bills, if they're not there already, you're going to see bills in your state that try to somehow tie the hands of property owners who want to enter into conservation easements. And there's another bill in Montana that's saying that state money and state agencies cannot enter into conservation easements. Hmm. So in Montana, just like a lot of states, we have these pools of money that every part of our hunting and fishing license, a little bit of it goes into a fund called Habitat Montana. And that money is used to either buy deeded property, which a few sessions ago, the state legislature said, no, you can't use that to buy deeded property. You have to use it to buy easements.
3: Hmm.
0: So we've got this huge pool of money now that's been sitting there. And the legislature gets all mad if FWP or some other state agency tries to actually buy the land and hold the land as deeded title. Now, this new bill says, oh, And we're going to prohibit state agencies from holding conservation easements. So before they said, we don't want you to do land purchases, go do conservation easements, or go do access easements. And now we got another knucklehead who is saying, oh, we're going to make that illegal also. So we're going to be throwing a portion of our hunting and fishing licenses into this account that you can't use it for anything. Yeah, it's messed up. All because some of these people have this absolute hatred for landowners who want to enter into conservation easements. So, I mean, if I'm a landowner and I say, you know what? I've always let the public cross my place here to yeah. get to the river and fish. And I can say that because in Minnesota, me and my brother and my sister, we own a piece of really cool river frontage. It's not a big piece, Mm -hmm. but all the people downstream now have posted there's no fishing. And my dad and my uncle, who own this property, would be rolling in their grave if me and my brother and my sister ever closed that piece of river to fishing. Hmm. So if that property was here in Montana and Fish, Wildlife, and Parks came and said, Randy, Jason, Michelle, we want to. Buy a an easement across your property to the river and under if this guy gets his way in the state legislature I wouldn't be able to sell that to f w p that's crazy I wouldn't be able to donate it to him in perpetuity
2: <laughs> yeah, not yeah. even for willing landowners who want to provide access or conservation easement, yeah, that's
0: yeah. So I, uh, and I know we get people who listen to our podcasts all across the country. I'm using Montana examples because I know, I look, I, uh, I go out and read bills in other states. I, we got listeners in all other states and we get emails saying, this is going on here. What, what the heck? Yeah. Pay attention. And mm-hmm. I know we all have jobs. I know we all have families and we're coaching basketball and we're whatever. Mm -hmm. but this is the mechanism they use now. They're hoping you're so busy living your life that they will do this stuff kind of under the radar. And that's why if you belong to one of your state hunting, fishing, conservation groups, most of them are engaged in the state legislatures. Right. And they'll tell you what's going on. Try to identify the issues and what bills need to be. Yep. So if yeah. I was you, I would join one of your state organizations and have uh, have <laughs> have them put you on their, their email alert notice because nothing more frustrating than something passes and you're looking yeah. around saying, How the hell did that happen?
1: It's hard yeah. to
2: keep up on three thousand new bills <laughs> that are
1: coming yeah. through, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: So it's Well along those lines, mm-hmm. remind people what they what what should they be doing if they're concerned about these bills coming up?
0: Yep. So if your state legislature has crazy bills, which I can guarantee you they're going to have some, I would suggest that you, one, join a group. Yeah, have right. someone be your eyes and ears because, you, you, like Dan said, you can't keep track of all 3,000 of them. Mm-hmm. Once you are notified, now the question is, what can I do? Mm-hmm. Well, you have somebody who represents you in your state legislature. In Montana, we have a House and a Senate. Most states are similar to that. You have someone who's your elected representative in the House, and you have someone who's your elected senator in your state Senate. Know their email. Know their phone number. Call them. Call them and give them your thoughts. Yeah. And if it's a bill that's going to a committee... Email everyone on that committee. Every state legislature has a list of who, uh, of the emails of every member of the committee. So when the new Montana legislature gets seated, I'll update my House Fish, Wildlife, and Parks Committee with the emails of all the new members of that committee. Gotcha. And the Senate Fish and Game Committee will have new members. I'll update that contact list with all the new emails. And I email, even though that person 200 miles away doesn't represent me, they're still a Montana rep or a Montana senator, and they sit on that committee, I want them to know what I'm thinking. Right. And when it's my local person, I call them. Yeah. And every state capital has a switchboard number that you can call and leave, say, bill number, Senate Bill 2232. I'm opposed to that. Please give this message to my senator, so-and-so. And that's what they do. So those are the things that you can do. If right. you know somebody who know personal, has a personal relationship with that elected official, employ them as your ally. Because the odds are that senator or that rep is going to take the call of their buddy their neighbor, someone who they're in the same profession with or whatever it might be, don't be afraid to reach out and and form strategic alliances, (laughs) for lack of a better term. Yeah. And don't let them off the hook easy. Don't accept the normal mush mouth, slack jaw kind of response that they'll give you. Yeah. Ask professionally, but directly. And if you get some bullshit answer, say, well, that's not what I was asking. Here's what I'm asking. When your bill comes up or this bill comes up that's going to infringe on private property rights because one of your peers over there doesn't like conservation easements, how are you going to vote? Force them. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they... They got elected they would they wanted to be the person with the power. Mm-hmm. well, with that comes the responsibility of having to listen and having to act when the time comes so i'm I know I'm probably uh what would I say less sympathetic to their causes because I've had enough of them bullshit me along <laughs> the way that yeah i, I and eventually. You'll get to the point, if you engage in this stuff, you'll get to the point where you don't trust any party. I, I don't, <laughs> I I don't trust the R's and I don't trust the D's. I don't trust either of them. Yeah. They have one goal in mind. Perpetuation of their party. Sometimes they'll vote in a way that's helpful to me and that's great and I'll thank them. But I never give either of them the benefit of the doubt. Right. And... If you're a party player, you're going to have a hard time being happy or feeling that you made a difference. So get rid of your party affiliations before any of this is, is my other advice to that, Marcus. Did I answer your question, or was that no, yeah, a long that was roundabout good, bullshit way of No, in. I think, so, yeah. Yeah, when all these new state legislatures get seated in January, get ready. Yep. You're going to get in, inundated. Make sure you're a member of a state organization that has their, their ear to the ground. State, state land selling accessible land was another one. Uh, we, we, oh, yeah. we, we did our 16 videos in that series, 16 episodes. Marcus, you and I filmed it about this whole notion of state transfer, as they call it. Right. which It's
4: just, yeah, hopefully
2: most of our listeners have heard us beat that horse enough, but yeah, this is a prime example what you just, what you're about to bring up. Right.
0: And most of us who, you know, there's a lot of us who think smaller government is better. I think that's kind of a general feeling a lot of people have, Mm -hmm. especially in our hunting and fishing and outdoor world we operate in. And so a lot of people take that to, well, I want the state to own everything. I don't want the federal government to own anything. All right. Well, let's, let's think about that because right now we've got, what's today's date? The 17th, 16th? 17th. Okay. Mm-hmm. You've got two weeks to get your money lined up and your proposal to the Utah State Land Board if you want to buy that 28,000 acres that they are advertising as premium hunting ground (laughs) that they're selling. Not 280 acres, not 2,800 acres, 28,000 acres of land that's currently accessible. If you can get there, it's in Utah, their state land board allows you to hunt and fish on state land. They're selling it. Well. Almost all, all by default, if there's a piece of public land legislation and it comes out of Utah, you should almost oppose it just. uh, (laughs) Automatically. 99% of the time you're going to be opposed to it. Yeah. So your default position is if it comes out of the minds of Utah policymakers, oppose it. And I always preface that by saying, I've got so many great friends in Utah, who are just really, really good conservation, hunting, and fish, and public access people, I don't understand the disconnect between what their citizens feel about access and public lands versus the policies that their elected leaders come up with. So the reason I bring this up is, like you said, Marcus, this is the example in black and white of what happened. Mm-hmm. These state land boards. So let's go back even further. Dan, you said you moved here from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. In Minnesota, you have a group called the DNR, Mm -hmm. Department of Natural Resources. Very similar to most of the other Midwestern and Eastern and Southeast states. That puts your state lands department within the same, same umbrella as your fish and wildlife department. Your your fish and game employees in a state like Minnesota work for the DNR. Yeah. Which also manages the state lands. So a lot of people think every state's set up that way. Marcus, you're you're from Montana. You grew up. Very there. different. Completely different in the West. Yep. You have state land boards that hold the state lands that a lot of times are not necessarily in good working relationships with the state fish and game agencies that manage the fish and wildlife.
2: They just have completely different missions and goals. Right.
0: Exactly. So the state land boards, I did a Ted talk on how this happened. They only give you nine minutes in a Ted talk. (laughs) I can't believe I went through this whole history in less than nine minutes, but, uh, it, when the United States was settled, uh, I think Ohio was the first state where the, the, I can't believe I'm forgetting the legislation. It was federal legislation that said, when a state enters the union, we're going to give them a huge amount of land that they're going to hold in trust to manage for their schools. Now, some states have sold all of that mm-hmm. or a huge portion of that. And that's what they were supposed to fund their schools with. A lot of the Western states still have, Varying degrees of that land still in their possession, now, Nevada, they've sold ninety nine percent of theirs. If you want to read a a history of corruptness at the state legislative level, go read the history of what happened to all these federal lands that were granted to the Nevada uh, school trusts. Mm-hmm. The state legislators pilfered it all, sold it all to themselves and their buddies for minimal prices. And even the small amount they paid for it, they never even bothered to put that money in the state school trust accounts. So that's one extreme example. Now we have these people who hate federal land, and they've looked at the West and said, well, most of the public lands are in the West. Let's use these state land boards with what Marcus said, different criteria, different charters, different objectives. Let's use them as our agents to get rid of these federal lands. Hmm. So, there's been people on this landscape who've been wanting to get rid of f- federal public accessible lands that we all hunt and fish, all 640 million acres of them. There's people who've been wanting to get rid of that for a century. And every time they come at it with a different approach. Well, the current approach is called state transfer. Transfer these lands, not to your state fish and game agency, not to the state in general, but to the state land boards. Because the state land boards are charged with making a profit on the lands, and generating money from the lands. And if they're not making a profit, they're supposed to sell those lands and put the cash in accounts to fund the school system. So that's their new marketing plan. Yeah. The end objective is still the same. Get rid of these public lands. So Utah, who they, their website and their Facebook page used to say before they took their Facebook page down, (laughs) these are not public lands. These are state trust lands. These are held in trust for a small group of beneficiaries. And technically they're correct. Yeah. If you go to the Arizona game or Arizona state land board page or the New Mexico state land board page. In big letters, it says, These are not, our lands are not public lands." And so people are like, what do you mean? They're owned by the state. Yeah. They are held in trust by a state agency with one specific purpose, maximizing the revenues to fund the state school systems. Right. So Utah, the place where all bad ideas related to public <laughs> land seem to originate, they've had Rob Bishop. One of their congressmen has been in control of the House Natural Resources Committee forever. Not forever, but for quite a while. He hates public lands. You've got Senator Mike Lee from Utah, who recently came out with his bill called the Homestead Something Act. And he goes to this big conference uh, hosted by a bunch of anti-public land people, and he says, the time has come to get rid of the public lands.
2: Just... Straight to the point, flat out, skipping the you
0: know the cover. The Mountain States Legal Foundation out of Denver, who all these folks kind of interact and and go with, January of seventeen, they write an article: "The time has come to get rid of the federal public lands." So there, I could give you illustration after example after example of where these groups have said, "This is our goal." Right. Well. The Utah guys are saying, we need to give these lands to these state land boards. And when you tell them, look, the history is, you guys have sold more than 50% of these in Oregon. You've sold 99% of them in Nevada. And we have a chart that we've put out there that shows what percentage of those lands have been sold by these western states. And they say, oh, no, we would never sell them. (laughs) No, that's... Well... Utah had an auction in May, they had an auction in October, and now they're having the granddaddy this year. 28,000 acres. And and it, you, they used to say, well, if we sell it, it's just worthless stuff that nobody wants anyhow.
2: But well, then you said them, they themselves were advertising it as... Prime
0: hunting ground. Yeah, out on our hunt, if you go to hunttalk.com, I started a thread out there, and there's a link to the sales flyer. Oh, man. The sales flyer has great big bull elk all over in it.
2: (laughs) Oh, geez.
0: And it talks about the great hunting there and how the neighbor next door has enrolled in this private land hunting program with the state of Utah. And so- for it being pretty worthless ground, if those pictures of all those great big bowl elk really came from that ground, they got a different version of worthless than I got. So, yeah. anyhow, the point is that it's just another absolute blatant example of what the goal is. And so all of you who want to hammer me and say, Newberg, they'd never do that. That's just smoke and mirrors. That's what I get all the time. Oh, they could never pull that off. Oh, that's uh, that. That's just a bunch of talk. It's actually happening. It's, yes, it's
2: happening right in front of our eyes. It's not
0: right. And, and I could go to any of the western states. Yeah. And there's always something like that going on. This is one of the bigger acreages I've seen in a long time. 20, yeah, that's significant. Twenty-eight thousand acres.
2: That's pretty. So you
0: think about it, it's not just those twenty-eight thousand acres, but what other adjacent blm or forest service lands might it control access to also right so i'm sure that a lot of our listeners have an, the 41 million dollar minimum bid to buy it that's what it is 41 yeah that's that's Yeah, the if minimum. anyone
2: wants to bid on that then you know. yeah
0: and some people said no one would pay 41 million dollars <laughs> yeah there are people paying $41 million for ranchers all over the West every week. So to think that no one would pay $41 million, yeah, they will. And so you think about how Utah has been doing this. Someday maybe they're going to run out of the prime hunting ground to sell. Well, we need our folks back in D.C. to send us, you know, pass laws to give us all this BLM and Forest Service land here. And so that doesn't even get into the fact that in a lot of these states, you can't recreational shoot on their state land. You, Colorado, you can't, can't hunt them. So I know you guys have heard me say it many times. Colorado has 23 million acres of BLM and state land that we can hunt right now. You give that to the Colorado State Land Board, we can't hunt on it unless Parks and Wildlife leases it. Yeah, Well, they don't have the budget. Right now, of all the state lands, they can only afford to lease, I think, 12% of it. So the other 88%, forget about. And so you can't recreational shoot on it. A lot of, like Wyoming, New Mexico, you can't camp on their lands. The only reason you can hunt in New Mexico is because the state fish and game agency pays a Mm -hmm. lease fee to the state land board. That makes it open to hunting. Montana used to be like Colorado. We never used to be able to do it. But what what's our state recreation fee here now? I just pay for those. I say, give me one of everything. I can't remember. Not very much. Yeah. I don't it's even look at $12 maybe? Nine or, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Anyhow, I, in Montana, we pay a fee. Right. If you don't pay that fee, if you don't buy that recreation permit and you go out on state lands to do any of this stuff, you are trespassing. Yeah. And there's yeah, and there will be people who are leasing that state land who will turn you in and get you arrested for trespassing if you don't have your recreation permit with you.
1: Is that well known about? I feel like there's probably a ton of people that have no idea they need. There's starting to be more signage. I've noticed. On yeah, some I've of noticed them. some, but it's I feel a... like just recreationalists, not hunters, might have no idea. Oh, I'm
0: sure a lot of people trespass and not knowing. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So if you have these little, if you have your OnX map system on your smartphone, because you use promo code Randy out there at onxmaps.com and you just save 20%, uh, they're going to be these little powder blue, light blue sections that show up on a surface map. Yep. Those are your state trust lands across all the states. If you see the light blue stuff, that's state trust land. Yep. And don't necessarily assume that you can go and hunt and fish and camp and hike and shoot there.
2: No, Nebraska, free. you can't either. I found that out. Oh, really? Yeah, because I, I called and they, they're like, oh yeah, no, you can't, you can't hunt the state land board lands. They're like we've been trying to get a hold of Onyx Maps to get them to, we don't want them to color them blue anymore. We want them to, they want them to become, you know, they want like, them to they be white. To appear appear as private land.
0: Really, I didn't know Nebraska was yeah. and Learn something every day. Colorado has a lot of state trust lands. and Yeah, Nebraska had quite a bit too. We're like, oh man, that looks like
2: some good turkey hunting stuff. And so we called up and they're like, oh no, you can't hunt that.
0: Yeah. So so a lot of these states, like Arizona says, using state lands is trespassing without a recreation permit. And it gives the example of what's trespassing. Recreational shooting, walking. They even list walking your dog as a form of trespassing <laughs> yeah. on state land without. So. Hopefully people take from this that there's a huge difference in the West between state trust lands that are managed and held by state land boards than what they might be accustomed to in their state where you can hunt and fish and camp and shoot and hike on your state lands, And that's why these policy groups, these think tanks, these anti-public landers, as I call them, think these state land boards are such great allies to accomplish their goal of getting rid of the public land. Mm -hmm. And even if they got to do it 28,000 acres at a time, I guess maybe they're patient. Maybe they're like, well, that won't happen overnight, but at 28,000 acres of whack, we'll get there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. How are we doing on time? Well, no, we got. You
2: have one more topic here. That you... Yeah. I oh. don't
0: know if I even want to touch this one. <laughs> uh, do we really need to talk about Secretary of Interior? Uh, I don't know. Do you want what, to talk about it, Dan? No, do you know about it What's your crystal ball What do you think's going to
2: happen? I'm curious what you think is going to happen.
0: Well, the uh, the topic is that uh Secretary of Interior Ryan Zinke, former congressman from Montana, uh former state legislator from Montana announced that he was retiring slash resigning, I guess resigning Yeah. Uh, as secretary of interior. Uh, and he's been the focus of a bunch of investigations for whatever his conduct might be. And I've, I have no idea if that those investigations will turn out to, validate the claims or make the claims invalid. I'm not even going to get into that. That, yeah, that's for someone else to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, so a ton of people emailed over the weekend and said, is this good or bad for conservation? Well, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. If you look at the list of people, and, and I know I'm going to get fried for saying this, but in the sake of full disclosure, I voted for Ryan Zinke as my congressman. I think both times he was up for election. And now I'll get a bunch of hate mail. But I voted for him. Uh, And then when the Trump administration came in, they had their transition team. They put together a list of candidates for Secretary of Interior. And those of us who are in uh, the uh, certain positions whether because of our platforms or because of nonprofit groups we work with or whatever, uh, some of us were given a look at what that list was. And when I saw that list, I'm like, oh my God, who the hell came up with this list of people? We're talking about not just folks who weren't engaged in public land issues, we're talking about people who are rabid sell the public land folks really everybody who was on that list at interior was a known devout follower of the utah doctrine to get rid of the public lands. yikes yeah all of the hunting (laughs) groups who saw that list told the transition team no way not just no way but no effing way So the transition team came back to us hunting groups and said, well, if you don't like it, what's your solution? And so some of us in Montana who knew Zinke knew that he probably was tired of, rumor was, no, I don't think anyone heard it out of his mouth, but rumor was he was tired of being a congressman because of the state of You're you're perpetually in the state of reelection because you you get voted on every two years. You got to reclaim your your territory, so you're always running for office. And I don't know if this is true or not, but the rumor was that he did not uh, like that idea. Um, So, looking at the list of candidates, some of us said, "I wonder if." Zinke would take the interior position if it was offered to him. And so the feelers were put out, word came back that, yeah, if he was offered it, he'd take it. So the hunting groups said, All right, we don't like, we we believe that all your current nominees are terrible for hunting (laughs) and conservation. Here's a congressman from Montana who, during his time serving under Rob Bishop's, House Natural Resources Committee, had always bucked the party line and voted in favor of public land issues. We throw him out there as the nominee. And the transition team took that on a Monday morning, and by Tuesday evening, he was the nominee for Secretary of Interior. Now, I give that background in history to say that it wasn't just certain hunting groups Every group that I'm affiliated with or know of who was shown the list Mm -hmm. and said, if Zinke was added to this list, where would he rate? Every one of them said he would rate way, way way above any of the people on the current list. And I'm talking groups that are supposedly uh, way over to the right, according to the eyes of some, and groups that some would say are way further to the left the whole spectrum said he would be a way, way better choice. Mm-hmm. Now, none of that was at a time when these current allegations were, were hanging over his head. So whether, whether you like Zinke, whether you dislike him, whether you're mm-hmm, him, you know, some good, some bad, whatever, that's how he became Secretary of Interior. He was still better than the alternative. <laughs> So much better than any of the alternatives that I can't, I can't even tell you how crazy some of the, so people will say, well, how did those crazies get on the list to start with? The Utah delegation was pushing most of them. Even at the beginning of the new administration, the deal was made that Utah was going to drive the bus on public land policy. And so most of the crazies that were put on the list there, put on the list for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, put on the list for Department of Ag slash Forest Service, there was a heavy hand of the Utah delegation in those nominees. So do you worry that a lot of the same,
2: those same people are going to be? That's my worry.
0: Are so are going to choose from now? If you can distill the, the assertions and claims against Sinky right now, And say, whatever that is, is what it is. Mm -hmm. And I I can assure you that the, if those people who were on that list come back on the list to answer that, that, uh, and someone asked me the question purely from conservation and hunting, would those people, is, is this change good or bad for, uh, Hunting and conservation. Without question, I can tell you that those other people, if they step in the shoes, it's going to be the the outcomes from Interior are going to be worse for hunting and conservation. Mm-hmm. And wh- whatever you think is inky, mm-hmm. these are going to be worse. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. But my crystal ball says if i have a crystal ball right. and it, I, my crystal ball is as foggy fuzzy and foggy as everyone else's my gut tells me that some of those people are going to be back on that list hmm. and yeah. the hunting community has played behind the scenes has played a lot of their political hand already getting some really bad nominees removed at that would have been there for us fish and wildlife service that would have been there for BLM director, that there's been, you you can only say no, 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 so many times before people say, well, you hunters, you're, you're a bunch of crazy. You're a bunch of, you're against everything. And sooner or later, you kind of get tuned out. So I don't know how much sway the hunting community will have in the, in who this replacement is. Hmm. And again, people are going to say, well, I can't believe you supported him to start with. Well, I'm here to tell you I supported him (laughs) and I lobbied a lot of other groups to support him. Mm -hmm. And I'm not alone in that. There's a lot of other people who were behind it. And was every decision that he made good for hunting and fishing? No. But. Did he do things as far as migration initiatives? Did he do some other things that I don't think those other people on the list would have done? Yep. Yeah. And did he stiff arm some of the bad things? Yep. And people need to remember, when Zinke was on the House Natural Resources Committee, he was continually voting against the Utah Doctrine. And the chairman of that committee, Rob Bishop, and they may not say this privately, but at that time, there, it was very obvious there wasn't a lot of love loss between Rob Bishop, chairman of that committee, and Zinke, the lone congressman from Montana. Mm-hmm. So now Zinke becomes the Secretary of Interior, and his budget, his policy, everything is now at the whim of Rob Bishop. Mm-hmm. You were not going to see the Utah delegation come to Zinke's, quote unquote, defense ever yeah and they were going to force his hand on a lot of things that they wanted yeah and again I'm not saying that how he should or shouldn't have I'm just saying that's just the ugliness of how our issues hunting fishing and conservation issues have been drawn into this ugly policy arena in DC and in state legislatures
4: it sucks so I don't
0: know. I have no idea if it's going to be good or bad. If I had to, if down at the sports book in Vegas, I could bet money, my money would be that the replacement is going to be worse. Yeah. And, you know, if we look back at his predecessor, Sally Jewell, Secretary of Interior, she oversaw some things that caused me a lot of gut ache. One of the things that happened under the prior administration was, they went to alaska and told alaska game and fish that on these lands administered by department of interior you're not going to be able to hunt this way or that way you're not going to be able to have this season or that season whoa 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 wait a second here folks earlier we opened this podcast talking about how wildlife management is a state authority right. state purview during the prior administration they pushed that pendulum way over to the side of it being a federal purview. Hmm. And it pissed me off. And I don't care if you agree with how Alaska does or doesn't, did or didn't manage wolves or bears or whatever it might be. That's none of my business being a citizen of Montana. The federal government, by the way we operate and all the court cases really had no business going in and telling Alaska how you can do that. Hmm. I don't want the federal government coming in and telling Montana, "Oh, you can only have these season types." Yeah. "Oh, if if you have the if you allow harvest in this manner, we're going to say you can't do it on our land." So, you know, people tend to forget that it wasn't all uh rainbows and butterflies uh previously either and I know I'm going to get my ass chewed (laughs) over that last statement, but it, (laughs) you know, I guess the point of of bringing it up that way and painting a context that extends more than one administration is that our issues get controlled by groups that often aren't us. At least at the state level you can have a little more influence. Unless you live in a big state like California or New York, then you're just one of many. In Montana, we're kind of spoiled. I can go down to the coffee shop here, and if I go to the right coffee shop, I know I'll run into two or three state legislators. Right. And they're going to be like, oh, here comes Newberg. Damn it. Let's get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. So, did did we get to Coos Deer?
2: We never really, uh, but... Yeah. How'd Do it we go? want to? Yeah. Yeah. I want to know how it went. It went pretty great. It did. I'd say. Yeah. It was a fun trip. It was How many points did you have? I think I had one. One point. One point, but I didn't need it, turns out. Really? I think it, yeah, basically. So
0: a zero point unit. Yeah. You went down there. Yeah. With our buddy Wade. Rifle hunting. Rifle hunting in December.
2: Which was fantastic to get a little bit of. Revenge! <laughs> after chasing them with archery equipment and watching you chase them with archery equipment the last two years, yeah. So that oh, was a great time. I mean, that nah, was super simple, just zero points. I mean, well, we, yeah, we had a point and I think Wade. I party applied with Wade, who had his like hundred point and stuff. But, okay, but still, I th- I, I want to say when we looked at their um, what it required, it yeah. was zero zero points, even or, for a non-resident. I don't think there was any leftovers, but, so maybe a few people, I'm not, I forget exactly. Some was zero A small
0: bit. percent with yeah. zero points may not have drawn.
2: But anyway, yeah, so, went down there. Public land? Public land, all public land in southern Arizona, basically. There's, like, a few small pieces of private where we were at, and uh, it was in the same area, that same general area. Yeah. That we've been. Archery hunting. Archery hunting. But yeah. Yeah, we went out the first day, and, uh, well, we spotted a few does, mm-hmm. and then that evening, it's starting to, about an hour light left, maybe a little more, spotted a buck, ran over there about a mile away, he was still there, and I shot him,
0: first it's, day. <laughs> I haven't seen the antlers, but it looked like a really nice buck. Yeah,
2: I think, I nice. mean, yeah, I, I don't really know, but yeah, everyone said it was a nice buck, I mean, I, I'm not familiar enough, it's... I would say it's a smaller white, like, normal size whitetail, but oh, for those sure. deer are tiny. That was yeah. another thing that was crazy when we walked up on that thing. Yeah, it's like, that was holy kind cow. Of a this is a mature buck, but it's like tiny, like really? just the body size. Yeah, packing it out was great. Smaller yeah. than
0: smaller than an antelope. Oh yeah,
2: yes, smaller than an antelope. Whoa. Yeah. Huh. And it was a mature buck. I can't imagine if you shoot one of those Sonoran dick dicks. Yeah. The little spiker, a little
0: you're. That's what I'm doing in January. <laughs> oh
2: man, I'm I'm excited. I was thinking, I was legitimately thinking about because I was gonna shoot any buck basically yeah. when we were down there. I was like, if I shoot a snoring Dictic, I think I'm gonna save the cape. Maybe not the full shoulder, but like just the neck, uh-huh. and like do just like the neck mount, like <laughs> coming out of the wall, <laughs> like
0: <laughs> like you see on some of those yeah. small African and yeah. Asian animals. I think be great. <laughs>
2: Hopefully, they wouldn't yeah. charge full price, but I'd be like, hey, oh. you know, what would it cost to do just to the neck and head of this guy? Oh. But, so, wh-
0: what do you think of that country, Dan? That was your uh, first time down there?
2: Yeah, that was my first time to Arizona.
1: And it was, it's hard to describe, but it just, it was so different than anything I was used to. Mm-hmm. And everything's very prickly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was wishing I would have had leather gloves for sure Yeah, to bring down. But uh, it was so, <laughs> it was really nice. Yeah. And to get it, down there in December where the, the days were getting, I don't know, in the sixties or maybe even more a couple of days. Yeah. It's nice and warm. Um, which was great. Really enjoyable to get out and Yeah, yeah. and we were with Wade, your yeah. your
2: old college buddy Wade, right? Yeah. I was he great. He's Yeah, he's fun. He was a lot of fun just yeah. Kind of teaching <clears throat> us, showing his ways of how to kill these
0: things. Yeah. Well, Michael and I were in Colorado mule deer hunting, or we just got back, I think. And when you sent me the picture of your buck, I kn- I've known Wade for 30 some years. I knew that the next deer you saw that was legal, Wade would shoot. Yeah. Wade, it... he has, if it's a world record buck or a dick dick, he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah.
1: Which is cool. Yeah. yeah it is
0: i wade is he exemplifies hunting for food better than anybody i know yeah and then he shot one the next day was it
2: uh it was, it was two days later Two, days, two days. days later. yeah 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 but it was it was a fun hunt and then he also knew that as soon as he was he filled his tag that meant we got to hunt quail for the rest of the time wow well, that we were down there yeah and that that's a whole nother level of fun yeah
0: did you guys find any quail oh man yeah oh
2: we found quail we found a lot really, really? The Gambles aren't doing good this
0: year, but the Merns
2: Quail, were Quail are doing good. So
0: you're saying in January there's a chance I could shoot another Merns Quail? Oh, yeah. Well,
2: if you can hit them. My problem was I can't hit them. <laughs> yeah. I think the, the, you know, I I just, yeah, I'm I'm not good shot. That's... I
0: hit the first one I shot at. When I, I had the- One ex- shot. Boom.
2: Nice. I had the excuse if I was using a new shotgun, yeah. but- I know that my shotgun that I have, I, I still can't hit anything with these. <laughs> I was actually hoping maybe I'd shoot shoot it better, but I,
0: huh. I didn't. Well, that's a bummer. But
2: Dan, so yeah, I, st- I started hunting. And we were doing Dan also has his license, so yeah. we were trade back we'd trade back and forth on. Oh, oil. okay. Dan, what did so, you do? Um I did surprisingly <laughs> pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: huh. think I hit I got two uh, with three shots. Oh, man. But then, uh, then, yeah. I, then my, the next day, though, my uh, percentages kind of dipped down. Oh. Just missed a few. But Yeah, it was. yeah.
2: for the first day, he had two birds down with three shots. I had two birds with 19 shots. <laughs> <laughs> shoot <or> shoot, man. <laughs> <laughs> but on day two, I did you manage ended to the... go one for one. So yeah, my percent was well, 100% was oh, 100% on, on day two. And so I went zero for two or yeah. something on the – but yeah, nineteen Last shots, day. two birds, and one of them was like even you know, Wade and I shot it at the same time. So really, it's you know, I think I hit it. <laughs> but Wade, <laughs> Wade let, might have. Might, Wade, Wade let you have. claim
0: it just to make sure that yeah. he, he felt better. No, uh, huh.
2: yeah, that was. And then we shot Mexican ducks too. No Me- Mexican like ducks under down. Oh, there.
0: not a Mexican mallet.
2: Oh, yeah. No, oh, really? They, they in the ra- Wade always makes fun of it because I guess in the rigs it says Mexican like ducks. Yeah. But they're, yeah, Mexican ducks. Yeah. We shot, Wade and I both shot one of those. No way. Yeah. That was pretty fun. Those were they, tasty. Those, those were an incredibly tasty bird. Yeah. <sighs> so I,
0: that, that's been on my list since I went to college there in 1984 and I've never shot one.
2: Oh, man. Yeah. There was this one pond. That's uh right next to the road, and apparently there's like tons of there's a lot of hunters driving by. And nobody apparently no one was interested in jump shooting ducks down there, cause they were just still there. And Whoa! We walked over there, jumped it, and kaboom! Yeah. Well, the first we think we did that pond twice. The first time we we punted and didn't we didn't get any. And okay. The second time they were back,
0: and we got them the second time. Okay. Yeah. Huh. So you guys were down there. You think about this, and we've stressed this to our audience so much. You, you'd you bought your license earlier in the year, your non-resident license, to apply for all the species. Mm-hmm. And it's a calendar year license, so if you buy it February 1st, it runs until January 31st of the following year. With that, you applied for a deer tag that you could have drawn with zero points. Yep. And then you guys went down there. In addition to hunting deer, you shot quail and ducks yeah
2: and this wasn't this was like not somebody's secret spot either like wade had never hunted there prior to last year when we went down there so he didn't even i mean like he obviously has knowledge about the deer and how to hunt them which was helpful but basically everywhere we went there's deer yeah i mean and there were a lot more hunters it being rifle season versus Mm -hmm. when we were there during archery season it's like everybody like the success rate it was surprisingly high. I forget what it was, but I think it was approaching like fifty percent or something. Wow! Which I guess compared to Montana's success rate of I don't know. Yeah, I'm the I'm used to looking at like elk success rates of ten like percent, <laughs> yeah, fourteen percent or something. But anyway, you're like yeah, we pe- there's a lot of people down there, but everyone was killing deer. So so the there you bull. have
0: it, folks. the The deadline for elk and antelope will be sometime in mid February. Go and buy your license to apply for that, and then buy applications for elk and antelope. And in June, do the same thing for deer and sheep. And in the fall, do it for pronghorn or uh, javelina. Yeah. Because I drew a javelina tag that we'll be taking advantage of in January. Yeah.
2: And as a couple of weeks ago, there's still leftovers for that. Were there? I think, well, they're probably gone now. Okay. But there were some leftovers down there, I noticed. Um. Huh, But, yeah, so that's, like, I mean, I got mine as a leftover last year. Did you? Javelina, archery javelina. There was leftover rifle tags, too. Rifle season's in February. February. March, same unit, like though. That. Same units that we hunt, the same really? area. Yeah, there was leftover uh, javelina tags. Wow.
1: Um, we did glass up a few. Yeah. The first, the same day he shot his buck.
2: It was interesting mm-hmm. being in the same general area because, like, I th- they must have like a rest rotation grazing thing there where cuz some of the pastures were just hammered and then gotcha. the other ones were really tall grass and they yeah. had a lot more rain this year too than yeah. last. Those deer and havelina, holy cow. They were hard to spot in the in the on un- un- grazed pastures. Wow. I'd almost like hunt, I think we should hunt the grazed pastures <laughs> just because even if there might be less wildlife there, you're just never going to see them in the <laughs> in the tall grass. <laughs> Although the merns quail,
0: merns quail are in the tall grass. So. Yeah 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 and if you have a good dog like Wade has
2: yeah Shiloh Shiloh is an amazing pointer
0: <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. He can now go to Arizona. Marcus has laid out the strategy and the plan
2: surprisingly easy, I think that was like my, the biggest eye opener in these last two years is like, I don't know, it just seemed like it'd be so hard to find a place to hunt and like to get the tags. It's like nah. No, you go online, or you go to Walmart, or you go to wherever you buy, you can just buy your over-the-counter archery tag, or, right. or if you one. want a rifle tag, you just apply, and like there, you, you'll probably get it for coos deer.
0: Yeah, especially if you're and, willing to apply for one of the two earlier seasons in October yeah. and the one you guys had. Then there's the late December hunts that those are Those are a little hard, hard hard are harder to draw. to
2: draw. Yeah, but we had the yeah first week of December, basically, and I was, I don't know, I guess there was a lot of people, and the deer had obviously been pressured a little bit, but we were still yeah. finding them. I mean, you were, we were finding them close to the road, and then my buck was a little ways off the road, and Wade's was a little ways off yeah. the road, but it's not like we were backpacking in or anything. Yeah. I mean, we were still finding them. Huh. A reasonable distance.
0: All right. Next year, if I don't have anything that occupies my calendar the first week of December, I'm going I'm going down there with a rifle because... Oh, it's fun. <clears throat> I'm sure that when I'm there in January, I will still have my deer tag in my pocket when I leave. <laughs> if past history is any indicator.
2: It's so nice Like, just think about how many deer you saw last year, and yeah. then with a rifle, you just lay down and shoot them. Yeah. You don't have
0: to get within 40 yards of them. Yeah. Well, that one buck that one morning that had the little dick dick running with oh, him. Oh, man. I had to tip him over because he's only 80 yards away. Yeah. But. Exactly. Hmm. Well. I like that story. I can't wait to see it on video. Yeah. When are we gonna have it up on our YouTube channel? I
1: don't know, Dan. Uh mid January. (laughs) Mid
0: January. All right. So when we're down there archery hunting, we're gonna be showing the world the rifle hunt. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool.
2: And oh the other thing, yeah. Everything that we ate down there was yeah, it was off the charts good. The quail. The quail. The deer the deer. Yeah. Well last year, the javelina, but yeah, this like we just did it super simple this year, you know, like over the fire or on the grill. Yeah. All of it, the duck, the quail, and the deer, and it is all just amazing. Just really? Yeah. The one, the one meal, when we cooked the backstrap over was, the fire. Put potatoes
1: was, in the coals.
2: It's just like, you know, the most simple meal at the most basic level, but everything, it was just one of those times where everything aligned perfectly and everything was cooked just perfectly. It was, it was a meal to remember. Cool. For sure. Like
0: that. And you got all that on film. We did. All right. All right. No one, no one's getting fired then. I'd hate to hear this kind of story and then say uh, we were too busy eating. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks guys. Thanks for uh being the the sounding board for a lot of this stuff. I uh I hated to dominate the conversation and ask or, or answer all the questions. But the way they were worded and who they came to, I figured it made more sense for me to jump in since the emails were all directed at me. But we got a lot of stuff to catch up on. We're off the road now. Yeah. we got For lots. at least a month anyway. Yeah. Got lots of work to do, lots of podcasts to record. And I was thinking of having some, People on the podcast who maybe are outside our normal view of the world, yeah. Just to get some differing perspectives, I don't know. If yeah. People let's get would some of those politicians on, on. They're here. a bunch of chicken shits. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, what? Let's see. the The last election, I, we had two people running for Senate and two for Congress, and only one of the senators got a hold of me. Yeah, and. One of the Congress people did get a hold of me two days, three days, I think it was before the election. Oh, jeez! Like, look, like I, I, I appreciate you getting a hold of me. I, you know, I can't do a pat podcast and get it distributed <laughs> right before the election. Yeah. So that was cutting a little closer. But, but yeah, I the unlikelihood or the likelihood of any of the state level people getting on the podcast who would actually have some substance to bring to it I'm pretty slim yeah i don't know it's too bad that we spook a lot of politicians yeah i don't know i guess i'm i just have no use for parties so maybe they don't i <laughs> don't want to be caught in the situation of some person who has no interest in parties asking and grilling them. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I need to figure out a different approach. Maybe if I had a different approach, I would
4: entice some of them.
2: But I don't know. I'm not Pretend very... like you're their best friend and then all yeah. of a sudden start grilling them once you got the mic on. Yeah. There
0: we uh, go. I don't <laughs> want to do that either. <laughs> oh. I don't know. They're, I'm sure they're all good people. They just... You know, maybe have different perspectives than I do. Yeah, I'm sure when some of these people are together, they're like, that asshole, Newberg, that guy, somebody needs to take him out to the woodshed, put a pot knot on his head.
1: Metaphorically.
0: Metaf- no. <laughs> uh-uh. I got someone on YouTube just the other day. They're hunting me down.
1: Oh, yeah? yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. For which one? one. Which video?
0: Bison. Oh, mm-hmm. makes sense. I, I have such a long list. I replied to him. I said... Well, I'm easy to find. I'm in the phone book. I think you're number 44 in line. I'll assign you that number. The other 43, when I gave them my address and told them how to find me, none of them have shown up yet. So, (laughs) (laughs) No, I've got a lot of ass whoopings coming my way, (laughs) man. If if people start uh, cashing in on those threats that they're throwing out to me, going to burn my house down, going to whip my ass, going to shoot me, going to whatever... I I better pay attention because I'm I'm in for a long series of butt whoopings here. <laughs> <laughs> kind of cracked me up how people will threaten to whoop your ass on a Facebook or YouTube or on yeah. the internet forum. Yeah. I'm like, here's my address, I'm in the phone book. Let me know when you're coming, I'll clear my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> so far, of the dozens of them I've received, nobody has cleared their calendar to show up and do it. Um, but now that I've said it, somebody will probably be on my front porch when I go home this afternoon. I'll come back. I'll be doing a tooth inventory or something. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for listening, guys. Gals, hunters, anglers, conservationists. Appreciate All your support, all you do, and until the next time, uh, we got a bunch of content we got to get edited and get up on our YouTube channel.
2: Yep, sounds good.
0: You guys ready for all that fun? Oh, boy. All right. Thanks, folks.
4: Have a great day. Merry Christmas.